get Hitler off the front page. No, we don't need to cover that. Like bumping all of these things, yeah. right? All these things that are like uh, like very significant, right? Right. And then right. he's like, he's like, no, no, keep the rooster story. It's human interest. Uh huh. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Cinema Ball. I'm here with my co-host and opponent, Dame Ebony Asta. Hello, Ebony. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Cinema Ball is, of course, a ridiculous excuse for Ebony and I to talk about movies. Our goal in this game is to connect one movie to another through actors, directors, you know, production folks, through whatever wacky means we can devise um, uh, to, uh, to to get to the goal. And the goal of this round, uh, because of me, is the... <laughs> That's right, yes. Take, is, that, take that shame. Is the 1998 Jean-Claude Van Damme film, Knockoff. Um, so I'm on offense. I'm trying to get us to knockoff, while Ebony uh, is on defense, understandably doing everything in her power to stop that outcome from ever coming to pass. This summer, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Knock off. Last week, Ebony, um, for some reason, and I don't know why she would do this, almost fumbled the cinema ball into the time cop zone. I think, I think maybe a time cop came back and stopped you from doing that because us watching Time Cop would have been a cinematic crime. Well, yes, it absolutely would have been a cinematic crime, but I called myself trying to help you out, you know, because I was like, oh, maybe Carol is getting tired of this round. Maybe like we should just like pull the bandaid off. I'm going to, you know, like fumble the ball so that you can just slam dunk it. No, um, no, no, no. With knockout. You need to... Ebony, I thought you were strong enough for Cinema Ball. You need to be ruthless. You need to be... I know. I was so ready to take that dive, Caro, and for no money. But thankfully, thankfully, that timeline did not come to pass. That's an alternate (laughs) timeline. Some Ebony and Carolyn and some alternate The darkest timeline. The darkest timeline. Had to watch Time Cop. My thoughts go are with them. But here in this timeline, we instead watched... The 1979 thriller, nuclear, you know, quasi-disaster film, political thriller, uh, The China Syndrome. The China Syndrome. It's about people. People who lie. And people faced with the agony of telling the truth. Starring Michael Douglas and Jane Fonda and uh, Jack Lemmon, uh, among other recognizable folks. Um, so at the end of this episode, I'll announce our next film. And boy, do I have a story for you. But for, <laughs> but for now, it's time to sweat our way through the anxiety of impending nuclear catastrophe. Ebony, go ahead and kick things off for us. Tell us a little bit about the China Syndrome. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so first of all, let me just um, say from jump how much I love this movie, and I'm so glad we're going to get a chance to talk about it. Like Carol said, movie comes out in 1979. It's directed by James Bridge. Um, and the China Syndrome is often described as a disaster movie, and, and it is, but it's also so much more. Um, not least because the disaster that's alluded to in the title, you know, the China syndrome, uh-huh. thankfully, uh, mercifully never happens, you know? Right. So set it's set in the Los Angeles of the, you know, the late 1970s. You know, it's a contemporary story for the year it comes out. And it's, you know, basically the story of Kimberly Wells, who's played by Jane Fonda, who is a news reporter, but only in like the loosest sense of that term. She covers a pretty like soft, non-newsy beat, you know, like the kind of uh, human interest stories is is what they're called, you know, until by chance she stumbles on this huge story when she's doing this fluff piece um, on the Ventana nuclear power plant outside of LA. Um, And while she's there, this, you know, event occurs that ultimately leads the shift supervisor on duty who's played um the character's name is jack adele played by the played by, to perfection by jack yeah. lemon so good. um to, to realize that like crucial safety protocols have been shortcut and at, at any time 
there could be a another event that triggers like a catastrophic um, nuclear disaster. So the rest of the film is about Kimberly and Jack, you know, trying to get those facts out, and simultaneously Kimberly like trying to convince her station bosses that she's capable of telling that story, that right. she's that she's more than just the reporter who can do like you know kids' birthday parties and you yeah. know visits to the zoo. Um, she's partnered with Michael Douglas who uh, is also a producer, like, that's how I, you know, uh, linked the cinema ball in this episode is through Michael Douglas, who we talked about last week in Romancing the Stone. Um, and he plays kind of her, like, roguish cameraman and, and also the person who kind of forces the issue when he yeah. steals um, footage of the, the inciting event um, that they shot illicitly. Um, he steals that from the station and that kind of kicks off the, you know, the kind of rush to get this story out. Right. Um, it is. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's often billed as a disaster movie, but it is very much in the vein of, you know, the kind of political thrillers that like Alan Pacula, for instance, was very famous for like uh, all the president's men or yeah. um, the parallax view. Yeah. So I, I was really impressed with this film, the way that it, um, it wove, uh, uh, gender politics mm -hmm. and expectations uh, seamlessly into this story also that is also about like journalistic ethics and about cap like capitalism as a destructive mm -hmm. force because um, uh, what happens right is that there's a huge uh, cover-up basically uh, to to prevent the story of this near catastrophe from getting out, the company doesn't even want to invest the money mm -hmm. in in the measures it would take to make the plant assuredly safe for the right. future. They want this story to completely go away, and um, and they wield all kinds of power, mm -hmm. um, both like through kind of putting you know sort of putting the squeeze on. Uh, Kimberly's sort of higher ups at the network to like not not let this story get out like oh let's wait until we have all the facts or this right. or that when it's clearly like no but let's just make this thing this whole thing go away also through um you know physical violence there right. are a few moments uh, a few scenes this is of course the late 70s was like the golden era of like cinematic car chases oh my gosh and cars and, uh, going over cliffs <laughs> yeah like um and there's like a two, you know, I mean, they're not like, like, they're not like the French connection car chase or yeah. the, uh, the car chase into live and die in LA, which right. is amazing. But you know, they're, they're, they're interesting, compelling, like little car chase segments. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I was really fascinated with, as I said, um, you have this reporter played by Jane Fonda who, um, uh, she is repeatedly, constantly reminded, not only by her male supervisors at work, but mm -hmm. also by people in the public, right? That she is just a pretty face, and that people mm -hmm. watch like their ratings are going up, mm -hmm. right? Because they have this beautiful woman who does these like cute human interest stories. You know, right. you have that scene at the beginning that, where you. You feel like her and her partners are preparing for, like, to do some some serious uh, news segment, and then the reveal is that it's about singing telegrams. Yeah, and it's yeah. just it's it's kind of it, this you know it just kind of cuts your expectations down, and it kind of makes you feel because I don't know you, there's just something about Jane Fonda as a presence where you you kind of know that already that she's probably wants more for herself which she does and she mm -hmm. actively campaigns for that throughout the the film I, I just think this film is really insightful about power because yeah she she has this job and if you know she she doesn't want to jeopardize it she wants to move up within the system you have michael douglas who's who's in a sense is being you could argue that he's being more principled and more ethical but also he doesn't have the same things at stake that she exactly. does because he's like an independent contractor so he can he, he yeah he, like the, the the network cannot like destroy his job because he's got probably other clients other right. jobs he'll be fine but even if he, even if he worked at that station it's safer for men to be assholes yes. in a work situation than it ever right. is you know safe for for women or people of color right like right he has the luxury of being seen in one way when he like you know stomps out of a meeting with the network brass in a way that jane vonda's character could never do right right exactly and um yeah 
yeah, like there's a there's a point in exchange they have where, you know, he's like de- kind of demanding, putting all this pressure on her to break the story regardless of the uh, the pressure and the refusals from her her higher ups. And, you know, she she says to Michael Douglas, like, it, you know, if that means they've got me, they've got me. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about how I have worked for a video game uh, news organization slash review website, etc. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course, I definitely had uh, some leeway and freedom to raise issues in my reviews. And, you know, people know that I historically did that. But also, it's definitely true that um, that there were stories and things that I did not report on that I wanted to. You know, my principals told me that, oh, this is an important story. We should absolutely be covering this. But that within that system, I just, at the time, I, I, I literally could not. And, and I, you know, I sort of reasoned like, well, you know, I guess I sort of, um, uh, assuaged my conscience by being like, well, I still, I do more good still as a trans woman, as a presence in this space than I would like if, if I weren't here anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'll just sort of swallow these realities and kind of keep working to, you know, to change things. But, yeah, like sometimes when you are within these systems, there's only so, so much you can do. Yeah, um, and I, I found like Jane Fonda, if you, uh, granted, you know, um, I, I know people love her in like uh, Grace and Frankie and other recent projects she's been in. But if you have never checked out the work that she did in the 70s, you really got to do it because there was a period when the kind of work that, that she was doing on screen was absolutely captivating like you just can't take your eyes off her and you're completely immersed in the story that she's telling through her body language through her eyes she's she's a fantastic actor and so i loved the way like you're you're never in doubt that her character kimberly wells is incredibly smart you know and knows how to speak her mind but who also knows that she has to um modulate her her approach depending upon what audience she's in right so mm-hmm. part of the the um the really effective thing the movie does is that you know we open on Kimberly you know uh, at the site of this this news story we don't yet know that it's just about singing telegrams but we right. think she's on location somewhere and we see her prepare for it and she's talking before she goes on air right and so the shift when she's not on air to when she goes live mm-hmm. right there's that stark shift but then also when she's talking to the the men in her life, whether it's the station brass, whether it's Michael Douglas's character, whether it's um, Jack Goodell when they're in the bar and she's, you know, really pressing him for information, we know she's got the chops. But then the way that she's forced to shift in the scene where she's with her boss, Jankovich, at that like work party or whatever. Yes. And they're sitting on a couch together and you're struck by the way that she softens her voice. And, you know, sort of her her body language becomes more languid and she becomes, you know, sort of more receptive in that way as she is attempting to get him to agree that, yes, she is capable of doing harder news stories. Like it's a complete shift from the the, the way she's carried herself before, you know, yeah. um, and, you know. Uh, misogynist would say that she's being manipulative in in that moment, but it's much more complicated than that. In this movie, like you say, like the stuff that it's doing around gender is really, yeah, just, you know, thoughtful and and kind of precise. Absolutely. Um, so on the other, I mean, obviously these these two stories are very interwoven, but you could also kind of look at them as two different kind of corrupt and fucked up systems of power. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got the news network and then you've got the whole power corporation and the power plant and everything where they definitely, the film definitely uh, takes pains to acknowledge as well, the kind of differences in, in hierarchy and power there because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, so after the event um, the the, you know, the near disaster event, which, which Jack Lemon and his crew uh, you know, uh, uh, prevent from happening, but there's some, maybe some human error. They, there's one gauge that they're, they're like not paying attention to a certain gauge mm-hmm. and they're paying attention instead to a gauge that's giving them false information. And then, you know, at a certain point they realize it's false, but they should have noticed it sooner. So, um, so one of the other, um, employee, one of the p- people in the 
in the the the, the plant, the the control room, is the you know always reliable Wilford oh, Brimley. It's so and, good. Yeah, and um and so there's uh, they have to go to testify um to this like little the commission I guess like an internal commission of the c- company, um and uh there's a scene where uh, like after the testimony. Uh, has happened and and it's I think it's like probably the first time that Jack and the Wilford Brimley character have been back in the control room again since the testimony and Wilford and Jack sort of like almost you know not good naturedly but sort of just like how was the testimony mm-hmm. and Wilford Brimley kind of turns to him and he's looking like shaken and yeah. he's like man <laughs> you, you the way you ask me that like I was in there for seven hours, twice as much as anyone else, mm-hmm. and like you know that it, in a situation like this, if the, you know they, they probably want a scapegoat, they probably want just someone to blame, yep. and you know who do you think it's going to be? Right? Yeah, yeah. He has that great line where he says, like, you know, where do you think the acts of human error were follow? Right, exactly. You know? And and yeah. Jack is like, well, why do you think that? And he's like, tradition. You know, it, yeah, it, tradition. It's so you know fantastic because Wilford Brimley's character is dressed in. Um, you know, like plaid shirts, rolled up sleeves and jeans, whereas Jack Lemon's character is dressed in that sort of like typical, you know, middle management, you know, yep, yep. with like slacks and, and sweater vests and everything. There's something really savvy going on with class in this film as well, right? Between like um, the kind of blue collar, um, long time worker that Wilford Brimley represents who says straight out, like, I don't have the background that you do. You're like, I've never been management. I've just, you know, like I'm one of the grunts. Like I, I'm I a help company, build I've been a, I'm a company man. man. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, then up the ladder to someone at Jack Goodell's level, right. Who's more comfortably, you know, uh, middle-class and it, it, again, you know, like, um, with the, the, pointing out the nuance that it really, it's not so much about how much money these men make, but what categories they right. occupy. Right. right. So Wilfred right. Brimley as, you know, representing kind of the working class, um, uh, Jack Adele, Jack Lemon representing, you know, a step higher. And mm-hmm. then the vastly oh, out yeah. of sight, you know, power and wealth represented by the men at the top. I mean, for, when they say, and that, you know, like, um, that I'm not sure if it's a boardroom or a, a hotel penthouse room, but this room, um, this like palatial kind of suite that they're in having a conversation about the inciting incident and, you know, whether how long the investigation should be allowed to go on and whatever. And they're talking about, and remember, this is 1979. And they're saying the every day this plant is closed, we lose $492,000 a day yes. in 1979. Yeah, like there's yeah, yeah, yeah. no way at which that level of, of, of wealth outlay can continue to occur. Like this is big. This is huge, you know? And you think, okay, if they're losing that much money in 1979, how much more does this represent? Like these kind of companies in 2018, Mm -hmm. right? So like one of the things that I loved, again, about the opening, um, so not when Jane Fonda is on screen prepping for her news story, but the scene of the the car she's in driving down the, the LA highways, right? And um, and we see like the power lines and we see like the highways themselves and the canals. So the, the opening shots of all of that infrastructure, you know, it's just so awesome because it just emphasizes like it's ubiquity. It's everywhere. And the size of it and the way that it's rapidly kind of eclipsed the, uh, the humanity of the people it's supposed to serve. Yeah. I, I also appreciated that for me in that, that shot of the, 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 you know, she's like her and Michael Douglas and the crew just mm-hmm. all in this uh, vehicle kind of, yeah, cruising that down to the power plant, which is like, you know, it's outside of, you can, outside of like L.A. proper. Mm-hmm. You, you drive through those beautiful like rolling hills and stuff that are, are around outside L.A. And mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated how it the film goes from, to me, there's such a sense of like, wind in your hair freedom yeah. to that vision of California and, and, you know, and them just like, you know, these people who like each other cruising down to like do a little work together. It's not yeah. going to be, it's not going to be a tough day on the job. It's just right. like a little fluff piece. You know, they're probably, you know, it's probably like kind of fun for them. And then to when you're in the control room of the power plant and it feels so claustrophobic, yeah. even though it's quite a large chamber mm-hmm. because you know, like, you're in a sense trapped like 
if the catastrophe happens, you are trapped in there with it, right? Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I just thought that shift in tone was was really effective. And um, But you're right, too. Like, it's so, like, this film is, is it's very perceptive, too, and true, uh, you know, has a lot of truth uh, to communicate about capitalism and how, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, at a certain point, I mean, any like a, a corporate machine like that that is functioning at that level, where as you say, it's like they're losing, you know, four hundred and ninety thousand dollars a day or whatever. Like, you know, you have this one figure ultimately in the end who's kind of making these like really uh, awful decisions to um, to silence people and have the story basically be crushed. But um, but he's just like a, a human like representation of the fact that these kind of capitalist corporations and systems cannot um prioritize like human safety or human Mm -hmm. life right they they cannot they have to prioritize profit at basically any risk right Mm -hmm. to to their employees to other civilians to you know to the environment to anything Right, because ultimately those men and the structures that they set in place will always be the survivors. Like they're, they're the cockroaches, right? Like they will not be the ones who experience the blowback. You know, if some sort of, you know, environmental disaster happens, yes, you know, the company might be hit with some, you know, nominal fine, but they will continue to do business. It's, you know, the people who are around who will, you know, suffer. Um, yes. And so and, 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 and yeah, their their understanding of what they're doing is completely different from the people who are below them. Right. So like when um, when Jack Adele and Kimberly are in <laughs> that like regal beagle kind of bar out yeah. by the nuclear power plant yeah. where everybody um, from the plant hangs out. And uh, Kimberly's getting ready to leave. And he says, you know, when you when you turn on the lights tonight, you know, just think like that's 10 percent me. He's mm-hmm. thinking about like the, the service aspect of it. That's not at all. Uh, it's 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 dollars and cents to to the men who are above him, who are trying to engineer this cover up. And one thing that I I think is so well done is the way the film conveys that this nuclear power is exponentially larger um, than any form of power that has come Mm -hmm. before it. So we've had these kind of, you know, robber barons on railroads and, you know, for the oil fields and, you know, for at every stage in human history, you know, there have been these, these kind of people wielding this kind of power for their own greedy ends. Yeah. But nuclear power changes the game because they are treating it and that technology with the same kind of casual disregard uh, and, and lack of care that they've always shown, but that is radically insufficient for this kind of power. You know, right. like we have been completely outsized and outpaced, you know, at mm. this point, um, which, you know, yeah, like, I, I just think, you know, it's so prescient for, again, for 1979. Oh my God. I love this movie so much. I yeah. hope everybody sees it. Yeah. And um, like, so I, I basically, um, I have a kind of deep hatred of most like local news broadcasts. Mm-hmm. I think that they are genuinely often harmful because I, yeah. I think that they, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, mm-hmm. mentality, uh, makes people, uh, scared. It makes people see the world as kind of dangerous, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't think it serves the public interest at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think that news, you know, should be like ratings driven um, mm-hmm. at all. So um, I, I really appreciated how, you know, this film kind of makes us think about, um, too, the way that the media can be a t- puppet and a tool of capitalism mm-hmm. uh, because because that piece that they are uh doing or, or that they're meant to do uh, about the nuclear power plant um it's not just like a like a harmless little informative piece about how nuclear power works mm-hmm. uh, i mean that's what it's sort of presented as right. but it, it's actually really like n- propaganda for yeah. like nuclear power as like this safe revolutionary mm-hmm. power source it doesn't take into account all the risks and the dangers and the fact that there are people out there 
protesting against it every right. day, which this film thankfully also mm-hmm. uh, does a great job of representing and showing us. You know, these you have it. There's so many activists and people in this film who you see trying to stop the the uh, the. Uh, the, the encroaching the spread of mm-hmm. of nuclear power and it just you know it made me think about uh just like the history of activism you know uh, like uh, and how i you know I, how again like th- this is sort of uh, recalls my point at the end of LA confidential but like how I mean, obviously, activists matter. We make a difference. We, you know, who knows what would happen if there were no people uh, marching in the streets, speaking out against injustices and dangers and and so on. But it's like, but still, you can't. Um, it, so the world never changes for the better as much as we would like it to, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. It's like the, yeah. the capitalist machine still soldiers on. Um and you know like the work of resisting and and uh pushing back against those systems is ongoing right it's like yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely i mean like you know just to flip to the end you know real quick after everything has happened and we close on you know again the shot of the monitors and the editing bay of the, the news station and we've got you know the preview screen showing you know um kimberly kind of surrendering to the emotion after this intensely you know uh um traumatic scene where jack adele has been has been shot um and there's almost been another incident or there has been an incident that luckily you know didn't uh go anywhere and right, then right. on the the screen that's actually going out is yeah. a commercial for microwave exactly right it's like such it's a... just this film like it, yeah. it doesn't underline things you know right. it takes you a minute to see but it's it's so well done because yes like this is um it is the advertisers who are paying for um uh, for this news to come to us, right? Like that's that's how we get it is through the money that's paid by advertisers. And so, of course, the stories that we're allowed to see and the takes that we get on them are going to be dictated, you know, to a greater or lesser degree by the people who are paying those bills. And so the fact that it is a microwave oven, which, you know, in 1979 is still kind of a new, hip, awesome thing. But, you know, think about what a microwave is, right? Yeah. Oh my God, it was so good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um uh, so this isn't so much about this film, uh, but just a thought that I had mm-hmm. uh, while watching this film um, about like uh, human interest stories yeah. uh, in general. Um, so uh, you know, I I, I thought I, I didn't really know that that to, in my mind the human interest story has always been associated with like local news broadcasts. Like oh, mm-hmm. at the end there's always like the little heartwarming story about. Right you know, the squirrel at the park or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever it is. The, the, and the, the, uh, the doctor who makes house calls for fish. <laughs> um, right. um, but uh, there, I, so a few weeks ago on Feminist Frequency Radio, you and I talked about um, His Girl Friday. Yeah. Um, and there's a joke in that film. So that film, um, you know, made decades prior to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have at the end of that film, this scene where, uh, so Cary Grant is the, there's like newspaper editor and he's trying to like clear the front page. He's on the phone with like someone back at the, at the publishing, uh, you know, at the, at the office trying to clear room on the front page for this breaking story that, you know, that they've been trying to get for the whole film. And he's like, you know, no, no, you know, get Hitler off the front page. No, we don't need to cover that. Like bumping all of these things, yeah. right? All these things that are like, uh, like very significant. Right. Right. And then right. he's like, he's like, no, no, keep the rooster story. It's human interest. <laughs> um, uh-huh. So just like, Oh, human interest has been like this thing in, in journalism for, you know, decades. So like, the like goofy story with like no news value whatsoever. That's just supposed to make people feel like a little bit of uh, heartwarming or make people chuckle a little bit or whatever. Right. And I mean, yeah. which is not, you know, we're not saying that there's not a place for that. Like you, you cannot survive, especially in our current moment on a nonstop diet of the kind of like 
intense graphic, you know, like horrifying oh, yeah. news. You like the 24 right. hour news cycle, I do think is doing it's... like palpable harm Absolutely. Um, to, to people, agree. right? But there's a difference between going that direction and surrendering to either like the Nightcrawler version of this, right? Which is another movie I love um, of just, yeah, like straight up, if it bleeds, it leads. And, you know, if we need to, we'll manufacture <laughs> the crime that we want to show. Um, you know, like, and, or, you know, TMZ level, you know, whatever it just, right. there's, there's a, there's a way that we have to, we, we can thread the needle, um, better than, of course. We're, than we're doing now, you of know, course. like, I don't think anyone is particularly well served by the state of at least American, uh, no, televised right. news, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, I want to talk about Jack Lemon. Yeah. And how phenomenal. He is in this role. So as we, you know, go through the week, like after we decide what the movie's going to be and we chat in our work Slack channels about this, and, you know, I was just, we were, you know, sharing that, yeah, like there's, no one does this kind of character better than Jack Lemmon. I think he's like 55 at this point um, mm-hmm. in his career. Like he's the perfect age for this, you know, depicting like a man at exactly the point at which someone becomes so disillusioned uh, with what is around him. And it is so moving too. So um, when Jack is in the hearing after the the event, as they call it, um, and he takes responsibility when, when he's being asked, you know, well, why didn't people check these other dials? Like why, why didn't that person, you know, um, do this thing that would have avoided this crisis? He stops and he actually thinks, and he, he takes responsibility for it. Some of it might not even be his, but he knows that ultimately the buck stops, stops with him. Right. And the fact that he is the only person there who was willing to do that, you know? Um, and then later in the film, once he discovers that uh, one of the safety monitors has been falsifying reports, the way he conveys that utter disbelief that someone would do this, you know, like the, that, those kind of striking moments of honesty mm-hmm. and sincerity, mm-hmm. you know, the way that, you know, we feel uncomfortable with that because we, we, we thank God that there's someone who's, you know, willing to take that stand, but we also see all of the forces that are arrayed against him. And to be honest, I think from the very beginning, we kind of know there's going to be no happy ending for yeah. him. You know, yeah. I mean, even yeah. before he takes the security guard's gun and, you know, kicks everyone out uh, to say like, OK, I, I got to I got to stand up. I, I have to be heard. You know, even before that, I think we know there's yeah. going to be no way out for him. There's just too much arrayed against him. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, uh, obviously, his career is so storied. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, from er- like earlier films like The Apartment, which mm-hmm. is a cl- you know classic uh, sort of Hollywood uh, comedy by Billy Wilder. Of course, some like it hot. You know, he was in all these mm-hmm. sort of comedies, and but then like later in his career, such a such a like just an honest dramatic yeah. actor, like a, an actor who's like there's never like a false note with him, and he yeah. brings this, you know, to. Uh, Glengarry Glenn Ross, oh. I think, you know, he just he breaks your heart in that film. Yeah. Uh, you know, Shortcuts by Robert Altman. He gives mm-hmm. a beautiful performance in that. So definitely like an actor, like often films are worth watching just for the Jack Lemmon performance sometimes, yeah. even if the uh, film around it is not so great. Uh, yeah, just, just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a single... Um, major or minor role that I would have recast in this. Yeah, from, it's a wonderfully from cast From Peter film. Donut to, um, to uh, what's his name? Ham- Jack Hampton? Hampton? Um, Wilford Brimley, Jack mm-hmm. Lemon, Michael mm-hmm. D- Like, everybody yeah. in it is so perfect. Yeah, So yeah. absolutely perfect. Yeah, I mean, Michael Douglas definitely brings... Um, I liked how he was able to bring humor to, to a few moments in the film. Yeah. Like, there is a moment where... I think it's when Kimberly is um, kind of venting about the fact that the network is so uh, intent on keeping her in this like Mm -hmm. pretty face uh, human interest story uh, uh, role, you know, and she's talking about like, Oh yeah, I have to go. uh, So if the, if this doctor pays um, 
pays house calls to fish, do you call those aquarium calls? And Jack <laughs> Lemon, I mean, uh, Michael Douglas just like roll rolls his eyes, which yeah. like everyone like we should all collectively like yes. roll our eyes at these yes. kinds of like at this kind of garbage uh so it's like you know thank you for being the um, you know my reaction in that yeah. world uh michael douglas yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so uh, you know let's go ahead and, and wrap up our discussion of the china syndrome with a rapid fire round of the fab five slash furious five this is where we give you a quick taste of those things we absolutely loved, hated, were confused by, or just plain can't stop thinking about. After that, we're gonna do a new feature where we where we pair. You know, the, you know how you might go to someplace and they'll pair the food with a fine wine, or tell you which cheese goes with this. You know, we're going to do a lovely pairing where we tell you which film we might pair with this one, and we we call this segment. Some movie, some movie. A. I haven't even said it out loud before. So and I can't. It's I just it's a can't. play. Get it? It's a play on. So, I don't even know how to say the real word. So, Samuel, sommelier. Sommelier. You know. Yeah. So so it's a some movie. A. That's uh, so we will be filling that role for you as well. In case you want to put together a little double feature of the China Syndrome with another another film. Um, so Ebony, go ahead and take us through your uh, five fab slash furious five list first. Yeah, I I have got a fab four and then a uh, fucked up uh, final one. So so that's what I got. Uh, So for on the fab side, excuse me. In the initial event, uh, you know, when when Kimberly and the crew are initially at the Ventana power plant, and um, there's a there's a scene, uh, there's a moment where. It's longer than a moment, and that's kind of what's so great about it. When the camera is lingering on Jack Lemon's face as he waits out this countdown, as they are waiting, you know, to find out if uh, if the water levels can be raised on the core or if they're just entirely fucked. <clears throat> and there's this bead of sweat yeah. on Jack Lemon's forehead, and you just know in that minute what kind of an actor yeah. you're dealing with there. Like he is, he is. In that moment, he believes it. Right. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll have to say, like, toward like toward the end, um, uh, I th- this is such a to me such an effective film, just even uh, on on the level of a thriller that mm-hmm. I I honestly thought for a bit that it might go it might be you know go really bleak and dark to to really drive the point home and yeah. that that the worst thing could happen mm-hmm. and so there was a period there where i'm like oh god is like everything going to just go bright white any any yeah. moment you know or something like because jack lemon in particular is so great at conveying that feeling of 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 just that kind of how much is at stake you know mm-hmm. if 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 something goes wrong in that moment right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one. That my second was um, Kimberly's pet turtle. Just a weird thing that yep. she had. <laughs> it's yep. never explained. She just has a pet turtle. I assume sure. it's her pet. It was outside her door. She brought it and she certainly knew it. She had lettuce for that pet turtle. Loved yep. it. Um, I, again, loved the line when, um, when Wilfred Brimley's character says, where do you think the acts of human error will follow, you know, tradition? He knows mm-hmm. he's going to be the fall guy if something comes through. I, I yeah. loved that. Um, I loved when, uh, Jack Goodell goes out to, uh, out in the field to see the security monitor who has falsified those x-rays and when you know they have their confrontation and Jack is leaving the, secu- the, the security monitor is you know chasing him down and trying to convey like the gravity of what the forces are about to come down <laughs> and he keeps yelling they have their own security men right they right. have by which, their own by, security men <laughs> by which he means, means like basically hit men or exactly. people who will take you out if you try to break this story exactly and just yeah. the, the 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 panic you know yeah. in his voice yeah. it, was, it was fantastic yeah um yeah. so that's that's my four my fab four and then the final fucked up thing is uh so again china syndrome comes out in 1979 it is immediately you know <laughs> unsurprisingly vilified by the nuclear power industry ha. who claims that it is fear-mongering it's alarmist it's gonna you know it completely misrepresents the the dangers of nuclear power 12 days later 
12 days later, Three Mile Island nuclear disaster happens. You know, like, are you fucking kidding? That's it. Truth is stranger than fiction. Like, I couldn't believe that when I learned that factoid. So that's my five. Yeah. Yeah, some of these are are uh, things that we've already mentioned. You know, I, I I just love the the opening reveal of uh singing telegrams. <laughs> like it's just such a random thing and then, you know, and Jane Fonda just kind of putting on that smiling face and kind of like soldiering through it even though you already know that like she thinks this is dumb and it's not what she wants to be doing and you know, you have these these people doing all different kinds of singing telegrams and uh it's just a great uh yeah opening scene also just the the theme the way that the film throughout like how jane there's constantly like little moments of her checking her makeup the just the the little ways in which the film constantly kind of reminds you of like the scrutiny on her appearance Mm -hmm. you know like one of her bosses at one point i think says like Oh, I like your hair that way. Yeah. Um, you know, and they like praise her, but it's in such an infantilizing way, you know, mm-hmm. like she's a, perfor- you know, one of them at some point calls her a performer specifically, which clearly means like not a journalist. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so good um, at handling that theme. All right. Uh, number three, um, I'd love, uh, there's a, a little glimpse of, um, uh, as they're kind of coming back from commercial at the this news studio, um, the main anchor like um, waving away the cigarette smoke that he'd been yeah. smoking during this <laughs> during the commercial break, like mm-hmm. um, just like those little moments of of truth of like how things actually function in right. in these spaces a lot of time or certainly did in the late seventies. I was going to mention the turtle too, but uh, but instead I'll mention like the furniture at Fonda's place like in particular mm-hmm. she has this like goose lamp or something yeah. <laughs> like a duck lamp or something I don't know but um it was just like it 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 was quirky like it had yeah it, it had personality to it but was also quite char- charming yeah I also just love the fact that she was driving around in this like little tiny Toyota or something mm-hmm. you know hey man the gas shortage you know yeah yeah, they didn't yeah. have the SUVs back then. And finally, uh, so there's a shot at, in the sequence, like leading up to the initial uh, uh, event, a shot of a cup of coffee, and you see the vibrations in the cup of mm-hmm. coffee, and that is uh, like basically, you know, nowadays if you see that in a film, everyone immediately thinks of like Jurassic Park, right? Like. But, you know, that shot obviously did not originate with Jurassic Park. Right. And so seeing it in this film kind of made me wonder, like, oh, I wonder what maybe was the, maybe the first film to do the thing to, like, signify that a a vibration, an earthquake, or something is, like, uh, is uh, approaching by by showing uh, some some liquid in a cup or some vessel kind of like the surface of it starting to ripple. Yeah, I um, didn't even notice that, but that's a very good question. If you happen yeah. to be listening and you know, like you're a film historian and you've got an idea, definitely hit us up because that, that's very interesting. Yeah. So now uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and, and pair this film with mm-hmm. another film, Ebony. This was uh, your brilliant idea. The, the title uh, and everything came from from your amazing mind. So I, um, so um, I'm trying to think if I should go first because I think I know what film you're gonna say. And yeah. I think people. So let's build. I think people will like yours more. So I'm gonna do mine first. Okay. Okay. Um, there's a. Uh, in my mind, really fantastic uh, romantic comedy drama uh, from, I think, 88, 1988, uh, James L. Brooks' film called Broadcast News, which is every bit as concerned as this film is with journalistic integrity, with what, you know, what the responsibility of journalists really is. It, like this film, it it has honest uh, uh, depictions and insight into how the news gets made like how mm-hmm. it actually happens you know in this film you see the the little monitors in the studio control room there's a lot of great stuff w- like that in broadcast news you have Holly Hunter in this amazing uh, early performance as a as a news producer and there's just these virtuoso scenes uh, uh, of her kind of um, 
guiding uh, uh, William Hurt, who's like the pretty boy reporter. And so it just really, it, it also um, gets into the collision of the personal and the professional, right? Because you have these the three main characters, um, uh, Holly Hunter's character, William Hurt, and a, and a fantastic Albert Brooks, who's, you know, they're all in, in the news game. They're all journalists. But Holly Hunter's character and Albert Brooks' character have like real ethical standards. They are so committed to their ethical standards. Mm-hmm. William Hurt's character, he's kind of just like a handsome guy who will 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 raise ratings by being this handsome, reliable presence on the on the news, but he doesn't have that same ethical backbone. And yet Holly Hunter falls in love with the guy without the ethical the ethical standards, while Albert Brooks falls in love with Holly Hunter who yeah. shares his ethical standards. So it's this complex like love triangle and you know, what do we expect of the people we love? And anyway, um, but it's, uh, yeah, I think it's just a, a, such a smart, sharp, funny, heartbreaking, you know, moving film. And uh, definitely my mind uh, ha- covers a lot of the same territory as this film with regard specifically to, uh, to news broadcasts and mm-hmm. how they happen and the power dynamics involved in in shaping them. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a fantastic choice, uh, and I will allow you to pair any movie for me. So, of course, if you give me an opportunity like this, I'm always going to go for the glib answer, right? But yeah. I seriously think <laughs> so. My choice to pair with the China Syndrome is Anchorman. Uh, 2004 movie with Will Ferrell, Christina Applegate. And I'm dead serious about this because, you know, so uh, Anchorman is obviously, you know, a parody of this period in broadcast news, right? But what we have in the China Syndrome is an actual artifact from that era, you know, um, that is giving us a, a very accurate depiction of what newsrooms were like in that period and how, uh, we, you, you cannot really imagine how foreign it was um, to have a woman in the newsroom and then to have a woman doing, you know, hard news, right? right so obviously right. Anchorman is a comedy. It's, you know, it's ludicrous beyond belief. <laughs> but but the issues that they're talking about, they're like, there's a reason why it's set in 1974, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. because we're at the cusp of this change. And so the stuff that Kimberly Wells, Jane Fonda's character is going through I just think there's a there's a very you know like there's a funhouse mirror yeah, um, version of it in Anchorman that I think it, it could be very fun. Obviously, I could have gone for something like Michael Clayton, which is another really amazing whistleblower movie, but I'm choosing instead to go with Anchorman. Yeah, great, great. Uh, all right, now it's time for us to render our verdicts on this film using Ebony's brother's patented 100-star scale. Uh, on each episode, we rate the films we watch and keep a list of all our ratings in the document you can find in the podcast description. Ebony, where do you rank the China Syndrome? I think this is an almost perfect movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I am giving it one of my uh, highest scores on the 100-star scale. I'm giving it a 95. Great. Um, yeah, I'm actually surprised that this isn't a film that I've heard more about. Like, I, to me, this seems like it should be a a classic of the era. I mean, mm-hmm. and maybe at the time it was, but it's not one that has stayed part of the cultural conversation yeah. so much in my experience. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel like it should still be because the issues that it raises about, again, just capitalism and journalistic ethics and you know gender uh you know gender dynamics in those kinds of professional spaces and everything are still so so sharp um so uh yeah i'm uh gonna go i'm giving this film a 90 love it so love a lot of admiration for this film all right, Ebony. <laughs> I am so, so every ra- every round this we just get higher and higher. I am ready. So Last week, you, in, in explaining the process by which you came to land on uh, the China Syndrome, mm-hmm. you briefly mentioned in passing the one of the films you suggested was, or, or thought about rather, was uh, Judge Dredd. Um, oh if my you God. had, if you had chosen Judge Dredd, that <laughs> would have been my ticket to victory uh-huh. because Rob Schneider is in both Judge Dredd and in Knockoff. 
Um, wow, I am not good at this game. However, <laughs> however, so you know, be that as it may. Um, so, so I, I also like time is running out for me because mm-hmm. if we get to episode ten and I haven't scored yet, it's gonna pass over to you anyway. Yeah. So I, so was I was watching this film with you know a little bit of desperation, and mm-hmm. I was actually, you know, I have to say. <laughs> I wish like, y'all this, could see you Carolyn's may not believe face this, right but now. This is true. You may not believe this, but this is true. I actually thought to myself before watching this, like, hmm, you know, just based on the era that this film was made in and, like, the kind of roles the actor that I'm thinking of plays, maybe, maybe he'll be in this movie. Maybe, maybe he'll oh be in this movie. God. So... What a feeling of of jubilation and relief I felt the moment Wilford Brimley appeared on screen because guess whose Cajun uncle he plays in the John Woo movie Hard Target? No. That's right. Jean-Claude Van Damme's Cajun uncle. So oh my I God. So we are watching Hard Target, which I am converting into a field goal. Wow. It's not it's not the goal of knockoff, but so I don't get the full score. But I think it's about as close as I'm gonna get at this point. I don't wanna press my luck any further that I may yeah. not get this chance again. I also think Hard Target probably will be more fun and interesting for us to watch and talk about anyway than knockoff would have been. So Because it doesn't sense, have Rob Schneider in it? No, well that's definitely a plus. <laughs> Uh, and you know who else is in it, though, who we just talked about also on, on Feminist Frequency Radio, our who? boy Lance Henriksen. Oh, so, yeah. yes. Oh, my yes. God. I, yes. I'm, I'm going to need a smooth 36 hours to recover. Yeah, <laughs> from yeah, this yeah. News. I am, even though you are you are taking the field goals, you are now ahead in terms uh-huh. of points. I am I am happy to see you up on yes. the board with such Thank a you. smooth move. Thank this you. is this so is why I, Carolyn plays in the major leagues, everybody. <laughs> so I uh, I'm super excited for next week's episode already. Yeah, I hope you folks at home are as well. That's gonna do it for us this week, folks. Thank you so much to Simplecast, which hosts both this podcast and our flagship show, Feminist Frequency Radio, which you should also be listening to. We'll see you back here next week for another round of Cinema Ball. Bye. Oh, wow. I am super, super duper, super excited.